book of Deuteronomy is, is Moses preaching three sermons, preaching three sermons to the children of Israel, the, the next generation of the children of Israel who are not too far from Jericho across the Jordan to the north of the Red Sea. Their, their moms and dads have died in the wilderness. For 40 years they wandered because of their rebellion, but now the next generation is set to inherit the promise of the land, and they are right on the edge. And Moses is preaching to encourage them, to exhort them. Three sermons, and the first sermon that Moses preaches in the book of Deuteronomy is a sermon of remembrance. It's a sermon of the past. In fact, the first four chapters, the first four chapters are really Moses stirring them up by way of remembrance to look back over 40 years ago when the people of Israel were gathered at Mount Sinai. And, and as we pick it up in Moses' first sermon in chapter 1, it's 40 years ago, they're gathered in Mount Sinai. God had instructed the people of Israel for about a year, and now God says, it's time to move. It's time to move, and he's reminding them of what happened in the past because to remember the, the past will help them to walk by faith in the present and to claim the promises for the next generation. So let's pick uh, up the text in Deuteronomy chapter 1, and we'll start reading Moses' first sermon, and starting at verse 6. Last time we preached through verses 6 through 8, and our text this morning will be 9 through 18. Verse 6, the Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So Moses is saying to them, You've got to remember, we've got to move. It's time to go. We're going to have to take the land. We've got to get up. We've got to move. And the reason we're going to move is not our own strength. The reason that we're going to move is based upon the promises of God. We've got to move upon the promises of God. And so he rehearses the promises in verse 8. See, Behold, see, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give. It's right there. I've sworn to give it to you. I swore to to give it to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. And so God 
The first thing out of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses wants to remind the people of Israel is this. You've got to move on the, based on the promises of God. You've got to take hold of the promises, and you've got to move. Faith in the promises of God give us confidence to move upon those promises by the power of God. We must move upon the promises. And I was shocked then. I was so encouraged by that passage, but I was shocked by our passage today. Let's just get to it. Let's talk about the rebellion, right, how they didn't move on the promises, and we'll get to that next week. But he, before they moved from Sinai and he reminded them what happened, he says, let me remind you of one more thing that happened that I, I want you to, to remember. It seems strange, but let's read about what he reminds them next in verse 9. Let's read it, verses 9 through 18. I spoke to you at that time saying, I am not able to bear the burden of you alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day like the stars of the heaven in number. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are and bless you just as he has promised you. How can I alone bear the load and burden of you in your strife? Choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. You answered me and said, the thing which you have said is uh, to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and appointed them heads over you, leaders of thousands and of hundreds, of fifties and of tens, and officers for your tribes. Then I charged your judges at that time, saying, hear the cases between your fellow countrymen and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen or the alien who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do, and then we set out from Mount Sinai after they had organized under leadership. Father, help us now to take these words to the people of Israel thousands of years ago and to recognize that the timeless principles here today instruct us in the life of Grace Community Bible Church. These are your words. Every one of them is important. They are our very life. Teach us this morning according to your word. Convict us. Convince us of the glories of Christ again. And, and may we adopt these principles that we find right here in the life of this church at Grace Community Bible Church. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this last, this last week, I had the privilege of 
meeting with uh, Pastor Dan and um, with uh, Bobby Harnest and Matthew Short, I don't think Matthew's here this morning, um, to talk about Christus Gemeinde Wien, Wien the, our church plant in Vienna, and about Matthew Short and his, his uh, elder in training and how the year has, has gone with his, his training and uh, being a, a potential pastor here in just a couple of months uh, at, at our church plant in Vienna. Heard about his preaching through the book of James and was excited to hear about his, his preaching. Heard about all, how much he's learning from Kai, the, the lead pastor there at the church plant, about loving and shepherding the people of God, and he's been getting equipped in that way as well through weekly accountability and even distance work with, with Bobby uh, in that regard. But as we were reflecting, it kept, it kept coming to, this, to, a similar, to a similar theme in that, uh, in that meeting with Matthew Short. It kept coming back to the absolute importance of training biblical leaders for the church, the very small church in Austria. It, it, it came to the importance of training biblical leaders for gospel-centered, Christ-centered, word-centered churches in Austria, a very dark place. In fact, I think Matthew mentioned it, that this, the need of the day is to equip pastors in biblical ministry, in Christ-centered ministry, so that p- churches that are planted um, stay on the course of the Word of the living God. And then this week, Pastor Dan is heading to Sierra Leone. Why is he going there? To train pastors, to train leaders who will train other leaders so that they might plant biblical churches. Really, this is, I dare say, the need of the church globally. And this was true for the people of God in the Old Testament. The people of Israel who were to move on the promises of God. Just move on the promises of God. That wasn't just a a, a command for an individual in isolation. That was a command for the people of God. To move together upon the promises of God. And to take hold of the promises of God. And to take hold together. And... And as I reflected on that, then verses 9 through 18 begin to make more sense. Because we move upon the promises of God as the people of God in the Old Covenant and now in the New Covenant, we move together. And we move, this movement needs to be structured. There needs to be management. There needs to be leadership. And so Grace Community Bible Church, if we are going to move upon the promises of God together to fulfill the Great Commission, the Great Commission fulfilled by the power and the presence of Christ, if we're going to do that as a church, we must have godly leadership and structure. We've got to move strategically upon the promises of God. Think about all of the issues that Moses could have reminded the people of Israel about in Deuteronomy chapter 1 from all of those first three books of the Bible. Go back and read it this afternoon. 
It could have any number of hundred of things he could have reminded them, but he reminds them about this, that there must be leaders, that we must be structured, that it moving upon the promises of God don't happen automatically. You've got to move with intentionality. And so Moses speaks of a leadership structure in Israel, and these are timeless principles for us today in the life of the church. Listen carefully. These are timeless principles for us today in the life of Grace Community Bible Church. And I would say for every person in this room who takes in some way the mantle of leadership at work, in the neighborhood, in the community, at home, at school, at the church, there are principles here that we can all really meditate on today. So to deal with this text, we're just going to follow the text, and in so doing, we're going to answer three questions as we walk through verses uh, 9 through Uh, all the way through verse 18. The first question we want to answer is this. Why leadership among the people of God? Why leadership? Why leadership? There are three reasons that are given from this text. Why leadership? Number one, because of weakness. Because of weakness. Look at verse 9 again. Let's find it right in the text. I spoke to you at that time saying, I am not able to bear the burden of you alone. Moses says, I can't do it. I can't handle the burden of leadership. And so Moses is really summarizing the event that happened with his father-in-law Jethro years and years ago, over over 40 years earlier, where his father-in-law, Jethro, remember from the Scripture reading, saw Moses, got up at 5 a.m., worked till 11 o'clock at night, judging the people of God from morning to evening without stop, and said, you're going to wear yourself out. Why are you doing this alone? Let's pick it up. I'm just going to read Exodus 18, verse 14. Now, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father in law because, that's what I say to my father in law because. Because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute. And it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these, this is interesting, and these people. You wear out yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. And so Moses reminds the, the, the people of Israel of the past, what he said to mom and dad who died in the wilderness. I remind them, we're going to need leadership. I can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. We'll wear ourselves out. 
There's a biblical principle. They needed shared leadership. We're going to be overwhelmed. We're going to wear out, Moses says, if we do not have a leadership structure in place as we go in to take the land. We've got to move with structure. Now, this is a humbling posture. It's a humbling note about leadership right out of the gates. It says, I'm not able to do this. And God gives grace to the humble. One pastor says, and he's right, that natural and spiritual leadership are different right out of the gates. Read your leadership books. Always somewhat cringe. I mean, leadership books are good, but there is something about natural leadership that prizes in this world self-confidence I can handle this. If I have to, I'll work 100, 200 hours a week. I have got this. It's self-confidence saying, I got this, is a vital factor for good management in most cases. One commentator says, though, that the biblical concept of leadership begins not with natural ability, but biblical leadership. Think about your leadership positions. It begins not with natural ability, but biblical leadership begins with personal inadequacy. Personal inadequacy. So Moses says, why do we need leadership? Because Moses says, I am too weak. Second, reason we need leadership. Because of numbers. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day like the stars of heaven in number. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are, and bless you just as he has promised you. So again, Moses is reflecting to the children of Israel. They're about to take the land. He's ref- he-, he wants to remind them about leadership that he's spoken about in the past. They want to, he wants them to hear it again. And he's saying, God has fulfilled his promises. He said, to, he said to Abraham that you would be like the stars of the sky. And he said, look at you. You're, you're huge in number. And he, he prays that God would bless them even more and more for numbers. There's nothing wrong with numbers here. He's thankful to God. May the God of your fathers increase you a thousandfold more than you are and bless you just as he has promised you. He's made you a people. He's kept that portion of the promise. Will he not keep your promise, the promise to move into the land? Will he not make you a blessing to the nations? He's going to fulfill all of those things. So he's not saying, boy, we're too many here. He's saying, no, because we're many, we need to get what? We need to get organized and structured. We need to grow up we got a lot of people here. It's very practical. Because of numbers, we need leadership. And 
And third, not necessarily as positive, we need leadership, number one, because of weakness, number two, because of numbers, number three, because of strife, strife. Look at verse 12. How can I alone bear the load and burden of you and your strife? For decades in the wilderness, probably the heaviest burden of Moses' leadership was not the sheer uh, lack of hours in the day or not the, the growing numbers of people, but the burden and the stress and the taxing weight of the disputing and the strife among the people of God. The people of God complained. The people of God murmured. The people of God wanted to go back to Egypt. The people of God redefined God and said, God hates us. The people of God questioned leadership, this Aaron and this Miriam thing. I should be. And there was just strife and disputes. And Moses says, I can't handle that alone. We need more leaders because of strife. And so what happened? Look at verse 13. Because of those three reasons, let's do this. Choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. You answered me and said, the thing which you have said to do is good. And so Moses says to the people who knew the people in the trenches, here's some characteristics that you should be looking for, but I want you to look for these characteristics in each other and suggest those to me, and I will appoint them as heads. And so you can even see in the New Testament the principle of leadership coming up from within the church, the church identifying them, that, and, and then the elders of the church um, saying, yep, we affirm that, which is why in our membership meetings we want to get ballots and fill out input on future elders and future deacons because you know one another, and we're part of that process together. And so more leaders needed to be appointed to take the pressure off of Moses so that there was delegation and shared leadership among the people of God. And so if they're going to take the land which was promised, they're going to need to have organized, structured leadership as they move. Move on the promises of God. But if we're going to move as the people of God, then we're going to need management in that process. Believe it or not, that's what Moses reminds them above hundreds of other things that he could have reminded them. That's where he goes. I was just hearing, again, Matthew Short talk about church planting, and I didn't know whether to laugh or cry because it brought me back to 13 years ago when it was just 22 of us, 11 was my family, not including my father and mother-in-law, and we did everything. And some of those patterns of doing everything are hard to break to learn to empower, to learn to delegate, 
I was just listening to Matthew talk about trying to start a nursery ministry and, and how do we do it and do we have the, right? And I just, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I just was quiet. Just starting a nursery ministry is difficult for a church plant. And, it, and as in the life of Grace Community Bible Church with a new building, as we grow up, we're, you know, we're, I, I can't say we're a church plant anymore. We're 13 years into it. And, and so here we are making our best effort to, right, to do really what this text says, to see the Lord develop this leadership uh, within this church so that we can move upon the promises of God and the Great Commission for the Lakeville area. But we're still in the awkward teenage years of trying to figure this out in the idea of leadership. But we do need, as we grow bigger, there's a growing need to raise up leaders, to learn to delegate, to, to learn to empower, to learn to equip. And we're still learning this in our own church. One thing's for certain, one person cannot do it alone. But it's also important at Grace Community Bible Church that the members of this church, the elders of this church, the deacons of this church, are looking for the right kind of leaders. You know, by the way, don't you think that this Old Testament principle that we find here about delegation is behind the New Testament practice of a plurality of elders? If you're looking for the birth of plurality, you'll find it in Exodus 18 and Deuteronomy chapter 1. The stress of leadership is real. It needs to be a shared burden. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 28, I mean, he just talked about this long list of being shipwrecked and beat and all kinds of other horrific things, and he culminates the worst trial of all in my life is this. And apart from the other things, oh, those are other things. Apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me for my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak, he says. Right down underneath them in their weakness. And in the early church, this principle is seen from Deuteronomy is applied right in that early church in Acts chapter 6, 1 through 4. Do you remember that? Just write this reference down. I'm going to read it quickly. You can see it coming right from the Old Testament principle into new covenant practice. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, you hear that? While the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint Hear that? A complaint? Dispute? Strife? Arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve, the twelve apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. 
I think you can see in Acts chapter 6, you can see how the, the Bible works and how these principles are there in the Old Testament that fuel and provide a foundation for new covenant practice. Why leadership? Because of weakness, because of numbers, because of strife. Number two, what kind of leadership? Well, let's look at it in the text under two headings, the character and the calling of appointed leadership. First, the character. And there are three aspects of the character that we're going to look at because it's in the text. First, look at verse 13. Let's read it. Choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. Okay? We're not going to take a lot of time on this. We, could, we need to keep moving in Deuteronomy. <laughs> Number one, wise. Wise. This is not just head knowledge in that case of Torah or the law of God. This is, yes, it's not less than that. There is knowledge, but wisdom is the ability to apply that knowledge to life's complicated situations. One Bible dictionary says this about wisdom, quotes, the ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action based on knowledge and understanding. Knowledge of the word put into practice takes wisdom. That's what wisdom is. And we know from the book of Proverbs, Brandon is going through Proverbs with the teens. And so teens, you know from the book of Proverbs, what is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the very beginning, the source of wisdom, God Himself. So wisdom, find wise men. Number two, discerning. The idea of this word, according to one commentator, and I think he's right, is, quotes, a perceptive and sympathetic sensitivity to the needs of others, in quotes. Discerning. Okay, now listen. Leaders, business leaders, everyone, listen. Wisdom, yes, you have to know the Bible. Wisdom is, I need to have wisdom to know how to put that into place in practical situations in my leadership structure where I'm at. Watch this. It's not, we're not done there. The next step is discernment. Watch this. It's a hard translation. The idea is perception and sensitivity to the needs of others in the exercise of that wisdom. So yeah, you have knowledge and you try to practically apply it in wisdom, but that is going to be a mess and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard and people are involved and it takes so much discernment, it takes so much sensitivity and that is the idea of that word discerning. Third, experienced. So, we're looking for 
um, people who have been around the block once or twice. Experienced. Let him not be a novice, Paul says as he speaks about elders, or he'll be puffed up with the sin of the devil, which is pride. And we're going to get to that in the book of 1 Timothy. We preach through Titus here, and we see these characteristics are really summaries of what Paul expands even in the book of Titus and 1 Timothy. Wise, discerning, sensitive, and experienced men from your tribes of Israel. So that's the character. Secondly, look at the calling. That is the role. There's not much here on this. But that's consistent with the New Testament, is it not? More about what? Character? So the calling, verse 15, so I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and appointed them heads over you, leaders of thousands and of hundreds, of fifties and of tens, and officers for your tribes. Then I charged your judges at that time. So there, there's three different terms here for the types of leaders. There's one general term translated heads in verse 15. So I took the heads of your tribes and I pointed them heads. That's a general term in Hebrew for leaders. But then there's three specific terms underneath that. One is leaders of thousands and of hundreds. The word leaders, that's better commanders. Translation would be commanders there. So this was a military term, a military function as the people were to launch into battle, right, to take the promised land. They needed, they needed commanders, they needed leaders who were going to exhort and who were going to command and who were going to direct. But then there were officers, number two, that are mentioned here. Officers, right at the end of verse 15, this term for translated officers indicates a more administrative function, kind of like a foreman on a job site, sure that the work gets done, manages the people and the supplies and all of that. This is administration. The first one is direction and exhortation, and then there's administration, and then there's the judges mentioned in verse 16. This is a leader ahead, specifically who helps with judgments and matters of disputes in law, more of a a spiritual oversight. Now, the priests aren't mentioned here, but the judges get close and are part of that spiritual oversight of the people of Israel. I just wanted you to see, not that we need to expand this, but to see that the principle is there for various different gifts necessary, skill sets that God has given and then supercharges by the Spirit right, to serve the people of God in the church today. And so you think of the church today. Do we have military leaders? No, this is the new covenant. We have what? Elders and we have deacons, but we have those too. And we have other appointed leaders within the church. And some do administration. Some are exhorting. We have different gifts. I mean, think about the pastor Think about me for a second. You could call me an elder and be right. You could call me a pastor and you would be right. You could call me an overseer and be right. 
all three speak of the same person, but they're showing different skill sets and different giftings, just like we see here with the interchange in use. It's all flowing from these Old Testament principles. So the pastor is an overseer. That is, there's administration uh, that, that has to take place, and there's leadership that has to take place. They're an elder. That is, they don't have to be 70 years old, but they can't be a novice. They have to have experience, which we see flowing out of the Old Testament text. And he must be a pastor. That is, he must not just have this head knowledge, but a love for the people that is not biased for the alien, the outsider, that honors the law of God. Not just know the law of God, but is able to shepherd and to be sensitive and discerning to be among the people and know the needs of the people. We see these things flowing right out of this passage in Deuteronomy. And we're going to get to it again as Pastor Dan goes for, through First Timothy. And there's various sizes, right? There's thousands of people and groups of hundreds of people and groups of 50 people and groups of tens of people and all kinds of different things that they did with different Gifting, giftings of leaders to, for the people of God to be able to function. But here's what I want you to see. What is emphasized most in this text in the Old Testament is, is not the calling of these leaders, but the character. You say, prove it to me. Well, verse 13, how do you know something is emphasized in the Bible? It's repeated. That's one way. That's probably the best way. Verse 13, choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 15, then I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men. Even Moses is emphasizing the character of the leaders as the most important aspect. And I was just reminded of this as I, um, for those of you who are new, we have the whole book of Titus on the website. We preached through that entire book. And the whole book of Titus, you've got three verses on, on the elder, right? There should be a plurality, right? But then you've got three verses. You've got one little verse with one thing you have to do. That is your calling, right? In, in Titus, hold fast the faithful word and be able to contradict those who oppose it. That's it. But the two verses before that, there are 16 characteristics, personal characteristics of the leaders. One activity, 16 character qualities. So important then in the life of Grace Community Bible Church. So important if you are a leader of a company, a Christian leader of a company, that you be a man or a woman of integrity, wise and discerning. And experienced. Character matters. So we've looked then at the who of leadership then. We've examined the what kind of leadership, the character and the calling and the different gifts and roles. Let's go then finally, and I think really helpfully and quickly it, it appears from the clock, to our third question, the way we ought to lead. There are five crucial aspects. Let's run through these. From the text. First, the leader must. Are you ready? I'm not saying I can do any of this. 
apart from the Spirit. I'm just preaching the text. Pray for all of us who lead. Number one, listen. Listen. This is the how. This is the way. Verse 16, Then I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your fellow countrymen and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen or the alien who is with him. Now, at another time, I will get into the glory of the fact that aliens are part of the people of God and have full rights under the law of God because God knows what it's like to be an alien in the foreign land of Egypt and our heart for strangers and aliens for another time. For today, I want to, cap, I want to talk about that first word, listen. That word translated here is translated many other places in the Hebrew, listen. Leaders must first listen. In fact, one Bible translation of verse 16, the Lexham English Bible, translates it this way. I think it's absolutely right on, so here's a good translation. Hear out your fellow man. Hear out your fellow man. That is a good capturing of that word. That is the first how of leadership. The first thing a leader needs to do is close his mouth, close her mouth, and listen carefully so that they have all the information. You can see how I don't want to do a part two on this. Let's do part one. Be done. Number two, secondly, a leader must judge righteously in verse 16. The idea here is there ought to be equity and fairness. Judging righteously in the book of Deuteronomy is that we will see is judging according to the character of God. Judging righteously. Judging according to the character of God. Judging according to God's holiness and judging in, cor- in accordance with God's love. Both. Not in cold rationality, but judging according to the warm love of God. According to the white, hot righteousness of God. Judging according to the character of God. And that is, of course, the law of God, this objective standard. But to judge righteously, he's saying, just judge righteously. It's not easy to judge righteously. It's not easy to take the law of God, the Torah, and apply it to the messes that sin had made in the strife in the Israelite camps. Not easy to apply the word of God, even in our church at all, either. It takes wisdom and discernment. You can't just slap a verse on the messes that we make with our lives. Let me say that again. You just can't slap a verse on the messes that we make with our lives. This is the judgment of righteously. It's black and white. You got the Torah, right? No, it takes wisdom and sensitivity and discernment according to the love and righteousness of God. This is at the heart of judging righteously. There's always going to be conflict in Israel. And there's conflict in the people of God of all times. There's always issues to be worked out. May the Lord help leaders in this church to judge righteously. Third way is spoken of as a negative, so I'll just 
didn't, couldn't think of another way of putting it, so I'll just put it this way. Do not be partial. Do not be partial. Verse 17, you shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. So how are you to lead with fairness? How are you going to judge righteously? Well, you can't show partiality and judge righteously. You've got to hear the small and the great alike. Which means it doesn't matter whether a person is rich or a person is poor. It doesn't matter whether the person is important or the person by this culture standard, I should say, is unimportant. There's no distinctions. The text literally says don't regard faces. All men are created and women are created in the image of God. Don't be partial leaders. Don't be swayed by power. Don't be swayed by pocketbooks. Don't, be, don't take a bribe. Don't show favorites. Don't be intimidated. Which leads me to the fourth point. Why would we show partiality? You know why? You know why? Not because we're mean. Because we're scared. Which leads you to the fourth point from the text. Do not be afraid. The fourth way we lead, do not be afraid. He goes right on. He connects partiality to the fear of man, does he not? Look at it in verse 17. You shall not fear man. Wow. You shall not fear man. For, here's the reason, for the judgment is God's. At the very bottom of bad leadership, in the home, in the community, Workplace in the church is the fear of man. It's the bottom of it. Fear of failure. Fear of what others might think. Fear of consequences. Fear of persecution. Proverbs 29, verse 25, the fear of man lays a snare. It lays a snare for biblical leadership. What is the antidote for the fear of man? For, the text says, there's the antidote for the fear of man. For the judgment is God's. Here's the truth. Jeff, Pastor Jim, all leaders, listen to me and anybody who leads. Here is the antidote. For the judgment is God's. This is, we're going to lead according to his word. This is his law. It's transcendent. It's good. I don't get it all the time. I don't know how, but it's good. I believe that. I tell myself the truth. This is God. This is his judgment. This is for his glory. This is for his name. This is his word. And his judgments are good. I'm going to tell myself it's good. It's good for us. It's good for us. Don't be afraid then of men. When you know that you know that you're standing upon the Word of God, this is God's judgment. But I have to say it. Listen, leaders. Is it God's judgment? Well, that's the point, isn't it? That's why we do expository preaching. We have to know the Word of God. We can't go above the line of the Word as leaders. That's legalism. Kill a church. We can't go below the line of the Word of God. That is license. Both are fueled by the fear of man. We have to know the Word of the living God. 
What does God's word actually say? And when it says it, that settles it. Rest, dear leader, in whatever sphere. Rest. The judgment is God's. Do not fear men. And the fifth way we ought to lead is humbly. Verse 17, at the end, he says, the case that is too hard for you. Does the world like to say, the worldly leaders like to say as a pattern, it's too hard for me. If the case is too hard for you, you shall bring it to me, Moses says, and I will hear it. And then he does a summary statement that we're not going to unpack. Remember, he gave all those laws for a year. Here's his summary of that. I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. There's a summary. I want to talk about leadership. I could have talked about a million things that I've summarized in one verse. Verse 18, chapter after chapter is summarized in one verse. I don't know. I'm talking about leadership. Humbly. So the difficult cases Moses would hear and render a judgment. Appointed leaders need to know their limitations, their giftings, and be humble enough to say, uncle. You know that expression? To say, uncle, I need help. I lack wisdom. I lack discernment. I lack experience in this area. And a good leader is teachable, humble, and transparent and willing to ask for help. Again, the benefit of a plurality, then and now, the benefit of having older pastors that are like-minded that you can call up and ask for help and advice. I have a pastoral advisory email group of a bunch of godly pastors that I can ask questions on email. I'm so thankful for Twin Cities Bible Church and that plurality there that that we can help them and they can help us. And I'm so sad, as I wrote this sermon, I'm so sad that the Moses, in many ways, of that congregation, and in a lot of ways of ours too, Lloyd Johnson, is with the Lord because of the wisdom and discernment that he had. But we need each other. We need to know our limitations. So, remember brothers and sisters, to move on the promises of God. And as you move based on the promises, move with leadership. Leadership because of weakness. Leadership because of numbers. Leadership because of strife. Wise, discerning, experienced leadership. Those who listen, judge righteously, reject partiality, are not afraid of people, and are humble, knowing their limitations in order to get help. Humility. Brothers and sisters, and I'm going to take a couple extra minutes, I'm going to land the plane, I promise. But I can't cut this off now. As you know, I don't want a part two. The hallmark of leadership, and it's in the text, the way Moses structures it. Have you got it yet? Where he begins and where he ends? One word, verse 9, I am not able. Verse 17, the case is too hard for me. Humility, 
humility, humility. That is the essence of leadership. So much reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. I'm just going to read a portion of it. Therefore, I exult, exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those who are allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Then he goes in, you younger men likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourself with what? Humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I want to give you some encouragement here. And Moses was not the ultimate pastor and leader of Israel. Who was it? God himself. I want to encourage you, and you can say amen if you want. The four elders of this church are not the ultimate pastors of this church. Can I get an amen? It is the chief shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, the greater Moses, who is the leader of this church. Now, I want you to notice something. Moses said in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, he wrote this. It doesn't seem very humble. But it's inspired by the Spirit. Moses wrote, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Oh, I think that's there because he wants to show us the greater Moses, the chief shepherd. Hallelujah, our leader, the greater Moses, the chief shepherd. He is the one. It's his spirit in leadership. It's, it's him who leads Grace Community Bible Church. And I'm telling you, our Lord Jesus is gentle and lowly of heart. He is gentle and lowly of heart. It is Christ who said in Mark chapter 10, write this reference down to his disciples in Mark 10, 42. Listen to this. Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many and Paul picks up on this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Now listen to this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, and by the way, right before that, it says, consider others, right, better than yourselves. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So God is humble. 
the God-man Jesus Christ, before he took upon flesh in humility, bore flesh and came and came under us to lead us this way. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But he's not dead. Our leader is a humble, exalted ruler. Verse 9, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May we rejoice in our chief shepherd. He's not only humble and receives us gently, but he has all authority and power to get it done and to take us home and to claim the promises. May we organize under him. May we move on the promises that are yes and amen in Christ. But may we organize under spirit-led leadership as we move.